0: hello and welcome to dance of the seventh daughter podcast dance of the seventh daughter is a virtual temple space centered around themes of the divine feminine sacred sisterhood goddess worship and community on top of this podcast dance of the seventh daughter provides an online academic blog an artist alley where we celebrate a different artist every month and a quarterly zine released for each season that shares ritual ideas, recipes, art, poetry, meditation, and so much more. It's time to enter the temple. everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. So the blog post is already up by the time that you are listening to this. But today's episode is all about how Mary Magdalene was never a prostitute. Yep, let's jump in. I want to start this podcast episode off by saying something that I wrote on the blog as well. I have a somewhat traumatic and difficult time and complicated relationship with Christianity in general, which is why I think I took a Christianity and Paganism PhD class to begin with. Um... I went into that class with this idea of like, I'm going to disprove all of these things, and I know so much already, and I know that this was taken from here, and they did this to this person, and blah, 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 right? What I discovered was so much more, (laughs) and what I had to open myself up to during the semester was um, the reminder that there are many beautiful, beautiful religions in the world, and it's people that ruin them. Um, Particularly, it's the patriarchy that ruins a lot of these beautiful religions. And so by uncovering a lot of these truths that have been hidden, and digging deeper into the actual origins of Christianity, and some of the very real mystical and spiritual elements that Um, exist in Christianity, I've been able to find some real healing around my complicated relationship with Christianity. Um, Today's blog posts and and this episode is probably um, not the last episode I'm ever going to do on Christianity, right? But I, you know, the first couple of things I did were a little bit centered and and focused in that realm. I'm going to move away from that after this. But I do just want to say, That um, if you also have a difficult relationship with Christianity, really leaning into a lot of the female figures in Christian mythology and finding these sort of obscure symbols and references that actually really tie paganism and Christianity together in an intimate way, along with many other religions as well, um, it's helpful it's a reminder that at some point we really weren't all that different. And then people, patriarchal structures and societies got involved and made things a lot more complicated for us. Um, created divide, created hatred, fear, um, created notions of good versus evil and heaven and hell and all of these other things. So, um, if you're wary about, you know, um, an episode like this or talking about some of these things, um, you know, try not to be as wary as you might, because really this is a focus on how Mary Magdalene has been portrayed throughout history. And we kind of finish off this episode today thinking about what are the things that we can do instead. Of focusing on all of this um, negative history and untrue history. What are things that we can do as feminists to um, bear witness to the truth of Mary of Magdala. So let's get into a little bit of history and a little bit of real information and see what we find. So Mary Magdalene, never a prostitute. In fact, she was the 13th disciple of Jesus and one of his most loyal followers and supporters, I would say the most loyal um, follower and supporter that he had. So why was she branded a prostitute for so many years? And why do so many people, even Christians still consider her one? let's jump into that. Um, first off, as I mentioned on the blog, I want to say that I'm a huge supporter of sex work and sex workers. And this episode is, uh, in no way meant to discredit or shame anyone for the work they do or the live, um, the life that they live. What I'm trying to do is approach this information from this place of patriarchal rule and authority. Um, One of the, there were a couple of questions I was asking myself when I was researching this, um, and those questions were, you know, why does a patriarchy want us to believe such a thing about women and how do patriarchal systems inform the way in which most people think about prostitutes and prostitution in general and women and sex and sexual desire and women's roles in society, um... And all of those sorts of things is what I was thinking about when I first received this information and then began to dig deeper. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? Because I already had a really big problem with Christianity, which is interesting uh, for my upbringing because my grandfather, who unfortunately passed away a few months ago um, at 98, was a Catholic deacon and one of the best Most amazing men um, that I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. And when I would have all these big problems with Christianity and issues with Christianity, I'd look at someone like my grandfather and be like, he's not like this at all. There must be more to the story. Which I think, to be honest, if I didn't have a figure like my grandfather in my life, I don't know if I would have been as open to receiving. Additional information about Christianity that might not be seen as quote unquote negative Um, because I had a bit of this worldview in my personal life. I think I was able to be more open to receiving and researching this sort of information. Still, my relationship is quite complicated and I'm not a Christian, um, but I do have this bit of a background. So, moving on. Um, So, Mary, whose name might not actually be Mary to begin with. There are lots of Marys in the Bible. Um, there are lots of accounts of different Marys. Um, her name might actually be Miriam. It could be something else. We've got a lot of Marys. We've got Mary, mother of Jesus. There's Mary of Bethany, who is not the same person of Mar- as Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. We have Mary, mother of James and Joseph, and we have Mary, the wife of Clopas. We've got lots of Marys, first of all. And Mary of Magdala, um, her last name here, or epithet, Magdalene, suggests that Mary came from the town of Magdala, which was a fishing town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So if you were a woman during this time period, and you had such an epithet during, you know, this suggests that Mary came from a family of means and wealth. And actually, it was Mary who supported Jesus while he traveled around the land spreading his gospel. And it was Mary's wealth and influence that allowed for this sort of easy movement. And Mary had such great influence that it is said that she was even granted an audience with Pilate after the resurrection of Jesus, not just to criticize him, um, but also to deliver the news of the resurrection. And that's where we, if you go on the blog, you'll see an image of Mary holding a white egg. There's a story um, that says when she proclaims his resurrection, Pilate goes, yeah, that's, that's as ridiculous as, that's saying that you could turn this white egg into red and the egg turns red. And when I mentioned about these sort of um, ties between pagan belief systems and other religious belief systems in Christianity, an egg is very indicative of fertility or rebirth, and the fact that Mary brings the symbol of fertility or birth into this um, meeting to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, and having something transform within the egg, tells us that this egg has gone from not being fertile to being fertile to this idea of rebirth resurrection. So there's a a pagan structure right there, literally built into the story itself. So just a little thing to keep in mind. Um, So what's really interesting about this is that aside from all of these different Marys that are mentioned throughout the Bible, um, there are other women that are mentioned as well. So, um, I'm quoting here in the gospels, several women come into the story of Jesus with great energy, including erotic energy. There are several Marys, as I just mentioned, but equally important, there are three unnamed women who are expressly identified as sexual sinners. Dun, 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 sexual sinners. (laughs) The woman with a quote unquote bad name, who wipes Jesus' feet with ointment as a signal of repentance. Oh, well, wait a second. I thought that was Mary Magdalene. That's a story I've always been told. Moving on. A Samaritan woman who Jesus meets at a well, and an adulteress whom the Pharisees haul before Jesus to see if he will condemn her. So this compounding of all of these different Marys throughout history makes it very easy for the church to decide that women were whores and that they must repent for their inherent sinful nature in order to be followers of Christ and receive forgiveness. Now, we could be fair and say that because many of these, um, biblical accounts are not actually firsthand accounts, they were written some years later the memory of the writers might be construed and twisted but I think we all feel that it's more accurate to say that like the figure of Eve in the garden putting the blame on the downfall of humanity, especially when sexual desire is involved, onto women is an easy way to justify the treatment of women as less than, quote-unquote in a society that is dominated by male archetypes and structures. So um because Mary of Magdala was seen as a saint and a disciple of Jesus, still first, there were a great many female priests up until a decree was issued by Pope Gregory the First in five ninety one CE that said because women could um can't be trusted, and their true nature is that of a sinner, just like Mary, that women could no longer be priests. Now, this took a while to reach certain places, and so I believe it was Turkey who had, uh, Turkey or somewhere in that region that had priests um, that were women the longest, because word took a while to reach them that, by the way, your priests are actually whores, so they can't be priests anymore. Like, I mean, really... Really, ah <laughs> uh, so that 's where we find ourselves um, and this went on this concocted image of Mary, this fictitious invention of who Mary Magdalene was went on for about 1400 years and it was accepted as the norm. And Mary became this like cult-like symbol for repentance and absolution of sin. Look, if you repent your sins, you too can follow Jesus. Okay. Except she wasn't a sinner. Actually, she was healed of an ailment. Of some sort of physical or emotional ailment. She was healed. And that's how she became a believer in Jesus. But it wasn't until 1969 that the Catholic Church attempted to acknowledge and correct this created misconception. But like barely. Why do I say barely? Because up until a year ago, someone who went to Catholic school their whole life, who had a Catholic deacon for a grandfather, ding, ding, ding who used to go to church every Saturday, not Sunday, Saturday, because you would go to get Chinese buffet after, (laughs) still believed she was a prostitute. Now, did I truly believe in my soul that she was a prostitute and that there wasn't some sort of like patriarchal conspiracy going on? No, I was definitely like, that's ridiculous. But I didn't know that the church also knew. I didn't know that people were talking about this. It wasn't in my sphere of understanding and recognition. And as someone who considers themselves a feminist, I was like, what the fuck? what the actual fuck, and there are so many people I spoke to, I tried to mention this to um, an ex-boyfriend of a friend of mine, and the way I was shot down so fucking quickly, no, Jesus was poor, he didn't have any help, he didn't have any assistance from anyone, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 my man, how difficult is it to believe that a woman of means was more of a political advisor or campaign advisor and confidant and supporter than like believing that, you know, Jesus just wandered around the countryside, which, you know, he might have. But why is it so difficult for you to believe that a woman was like a, a, a dominant campaign advisor and f- loyal follower and supporter? Why is that so hard for you to believe? What is it about the structures of our current society make it so difficult for you to believe that that you would go fly into a rage at the first mention of it? And that's, you know, part of the real and lasting problem of this fake decree. And this like, Nonchalant, sort of, oh, oops, haha, just kidding, acknowledgement in 1969, which, by the way, there was a lot going on in the late 60s into the 70s in the world, not just America, in the world. There was a shit ton of stuff going on um, that I'm sure there was probably some strategic reason for releasing it during that time. So that wouldn't garner that much attention. So, what's the real problem here? The problem. Is that in 591 the church took the figure of an independent woman of means who supported Jesus and his ministry and turned her into a whore? What? Let me say that one more time. <laughs> In 591 CE, the church took the figure of an independent woman of means who supported Jesus and his ministry and turned her into a prostitute. She was a witness at the crucifixion, a witness at the resurrection at the tomb after three days when Jesus rose again, and an active proclaimer of the risen Christ. But Mary went from a woman of status to a woman that men consider to be lowly and sinful. And of course, this causes ripple effects, right? Look at the ultra, ultra conservative Christian community. I mean, look what's going on with Roe v. Wade. I mean, look what's going on in the world. Um, Abductions of women and teens and children are an all-time high. Violence against women. Um any sort of queer rights, I mean, uh, racism, homophobia, sexism, I mean, the list goes on and on. Those are all concerns of feminism. And we have a dominant social, political and religious structure and figure in the community, even though, you know, there's supposed to be separation of these things, lol. We have a dominant figure, a dominant structure telling us that women are whores. They can't be priests. They can't be trusted. They need to be watched over at all times. And they are inherently sinful. Mary isn't even mentioned that often in the Bible, but she's mentioned enough for us to be like, yeah, that's a prostitute. Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) What do you mean? It's wild to me it's so easy now to say that women can't be trusted with responsibility in positions of power. Women are inherently sinful and are in need of constant guidance. Um, James Carroll, who wrote an article for Smithsonian magazine, he, he put it brilliantly. Um, Mary's branding as a prostitute and sinner solidifies the ways in which her legend has been used. How to discredit sexuality in general and disempower women in particular. So, uh Carol also has this beautiful um short paragraph that he wrote that sums up the concocted figure of Mary Magdalene throughout history. He says this, "In one age after another, her image was reinvented from prostitute to sibyl, to mystic, to celibate nun, to passive helpmeet, to a feminist icon, to the matriarch of divinity's secret dynasty. How the past is remembered, how sexual desire is domesticated, how men and women negotiate their separate impulses, how power inevitably seeks sanctification, How tradition becomes authoritative, how revolutions are co-opted, how fallibility is reckoned with, and how sweet devotion, this is important, how sweet devotion can be made to serve violent domination. That's what happens here. All these cultural questions helped shape the story of a woman who befriended Jesus of Nazareth how sweet devotion can be made to serve violent domination. This goes back to thinking about Salome. Was it just sweet devotion to her her stepfather? Or was it a sexy dance? I don't know. So some of... Um, These feminist ideas that I think we should be focusing on moving forward when looking at religious texts or religious history, regardless of our religious leanings, are the following. We need to remember the Bible was written by and for men, which also begs the question of who writes what and who is the audience across any religion. There is little mention of women of importance in the Bible, save Jesus's mother, Mary, who is somehow both a virgin and a mother all at once. And that's an interesting concept in and of itself. So women can birth children, but they also must be virgins in order to do so. Um, That is the perfect woman. The ideal woman is somehow both a mother and a virgin, The woman that we have to strive to be as women is both a mother and a virgin within this patriarchal, historical, and religious context. It's just not possible. We have been set up to fail. And I think that's part of the point. Three, biblical history and history in general is controlled by the patriarchy. And all religious and spiritual practices should be liberated from patriarchal constructs. So, uh, again, a lot of this information I received from my former professor, Gina Messina, when I took a Christianity and Paganism class. And some of the questions that she asked us were who are the silenced? What responsibility do we bear? What action is required? And how do we respond? this is my response. My response is to talk about it, is to bring a lot of these issues into awareness, into um, the present moment, to be presenced by others. I don't know if it makes much of an impact. I don't know if many people will listen and hear and understand the way in which I'm looking at this text, I'm looking at this information, but I hope that by uncovering this information. Um, other people will do their own research and maybe you'll heal some stuff. <laughs> maybe you'll heal some stuff, you know, maybe you'll take a look back at the way in which you were treated, um, as a woman, as a, as a little girl, as a young woman, as a teenager, maybe you'll look back and, and draw some direct correlation between, um, the patriarchal belief systems in your home or community or school or workplace or town or whatever the fuck it is with how you were treated. And maybe in, on some level we're all still operating and treating ourselves this way instead of liberating ourselves from these constructs, which is a really fucking difficult thing to do because that's the programming, right? That's the fucking programming. We have patriarchal programming, which um, causes divide, causes hatred, causes self-hate. That, I think, um, is the root of the majority of evil, if you want to use the word evil, in the world is self-hate. Because when we hate ourselves, it's really easy to hate others or to lash out at others. And I had, to not put it nicely, a deep hatred for Christianity. But when I start to do more research and I start to get to the bottom, I think, you know what, at one point in time, this was very beautiful. How did it become twisted? And that goes back to, you know, the questions that my professor had asked, you know, what responsibility do we bear and what action is required Maybe the action is uncovering truths. Maybe it's simply learning to love ourselves and to let go of past pain and past hurt. But I do think it's important to remember that history is written by the winners. And it's also written by the patriarchy. And to question, 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 question everything you think that you know. And to remember that if you feel something in your body, like I felt like Mary Magdalene being a prostitute was fucked. I was like, that can't be right. But I didn't know any better. If you feel something in your body, if you feel something in in your being, lean into that. Trust yourself. Trust yourself because you're on to something and, and our bodies know, you know, our subconscious, it knows. It knows when something's up. So that's what I have to say about that. Thank you for listening. Um the pre-sales for the zine are out released. You can buy purchase a zine, a quarterly zine. Um the first issue is currently on sale, so do check it out if you go to the website seventhdaughter.org and go right to the marketplace link. You can check it out. Um It is on sale right now. And I will tell you what is inside. So here are some things you have to look forward to in the September through November issue, the first issue. We've got a ritual to prepare for fall. I have an apple pie magic recipe. And then I have three little information things. One, is about the goddesses. Well, the theme is the goddesses of death and transformation. And so the next things that I focus on, focus on those sorts of goddesses. So we've got the Eleusinian mysteries, um, the Greek Eleusinian mysteries, and it's less of an article and it's more of um, a meditative um, visit By way of writing. And that's how I will best describe it. You've got to read it yourself to figure that out. Um, Kali Puja and the Witch's New Year. And then, of course, we have our creative corner that highlights artists and some additional offerings. So it's jam packed with really cool shit that'll take you all the way through um, the fall, all the way through November before the next zine is released at the very end of November 4, December, January, and February. So, of course, you can also get a subscription and you'll get all four and you never have to think about purchasing anything ever again. So, thank you in advance for that. If you go to the blog, you can um, find this article on Mary Magdalene and you can see some more resources, some YouTube videos of some cool stuff. Um, There's a YouTube video in there that takes you to a kind of... um, singing meditation for Mary Magdalene. I hope you check that out and leave a comment and let me know how you feel about this episode and let me know what you would like to hear moving forward. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.